Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to First Nazarene. Thank you for being here uh, for worship today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, And whether you are uh, brand new here, whether you've been coming for years, I love when the church gathers together, uh, we read scripture together, hear what Jesus has to say to us, and leave changed and transformed because of it. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, Especially maybe, I was thinking about this last week, um, last Sunday night we had our family ministry glow party. It was crazy and wild. If you volunteered and you're here, you knew it. It was a lot of fun, a great chance for us to welcome and to love on our communities, our rec community, our preschool community, those that live around the church. And so if you served at that, I just wanted to say thank you. And if any of you came to that and then you came back for church today, I just want to say special welcome to you. We are glad that you are here today as well. Uh, I'm excited today to start this All In series. Uh, Really looking at the hard sayings of Jesus and what we can learn from them as we approach Easter together. Before I jump into the message, though, I do want to say, just as a way of reminder, you saw these life group booklets on your seat today on the way in. Uh, If you've been here, this is the third week in a row that they have been here. I just want to let you know, today is the last day to sign up for a group. Most of these will um, literally start meeting tonight, tomorrow, this week. So if you've been on the fence, if you've been interested in a group, you've looked at it, you've read the bio a couple times, you're like, maybe, I would say do it today. Today's the day to make sure you sign up for a group. You see the QR code in there, but if you're here in person and you're interested in how to do that, after service at the Next Step Corner, Pastor Ethan will be there. He can help you sign up for a group or we can answer questions about those groups. Whether it's making your marriage better, whether it's finding another group of moms or dads to connect with, whether it's uh, you're in the senior ministry age range and you want to find other people to connect with, well, you just want to go hit some golf balls, there's a group. And I would encourage you to do that, to find connection, experience Christian community. Do that today. Those groups will launch this week. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, uh, another note, just for those of you that were here this last Wednesday night at our Ash Wednesday service, thank you for leaning in. Thank you for being a part of that. Uh, this journey of the next 40 days to Easter is one that we intentionally want you to lean into. To say, God, how can I grow closer to you? How can I know Jesus more to prepare my heart for Easter? If that's you and you're you're either fasting, like we talked about Wednesday night, or doing something else, uh, maybe even if you're just new to church and you wanna know more about who Jesus is. Uh, As a church, we've made the all-in Bible reading plan. You see this giant yellow thing? It looks like a bookmark. Uh, On your way out today by the doors, you can grab this and be reading about the life of Jesus as we approach Easter. And then as we get close to Easter, you'll be reading about the day that Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday, the day it happened. You'll be reading about his resurrection on Sunday morning as we preach about it on Easter. It's a great way to find more about who this Jesus is and participate in his story and in his life. 
Well, for today, uh, we're going to go all in and on the topic and the passage of Matthew 16. So if you have your Bible, you can go there, or in the First Naz app, you can click on Bible, you can go there, or if you're making notes uh, in your notes section in the app, I'm entitled today's message, How Much? How Much? Here's the attitude and the mindset behind this series. As I lead this church, I want to lead a church of people who understand what discipleship is. As we look at these really hard sayings of Jesus, I'm gonna look at the things that Jesus said that honestly I could just skip over. We could never preach about it. We could never talk about it. We say, Jesus, why did you say that? That makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Did you really mean that? And every week as we look at these things that Jesus has said, I think it's gonna cause us to wrestle a little bit. Man, how do I view my relationship with Jesus? Is it just something I go to church on the weekends? Is this something I've kind of added on to my life? Do I just, you know, like to hear what he says? Or am I all in? Do I understand what it means to follow Jesus and to follow him radically, to be all in? My hope is that this series for you, if you're here every week, will be very Jesus-centric. We're gonna look at his words, and it'll be challenging that every week you would leave this place saying, and whatever the theme or topic or area of life we're talked about, to say, I'm all in. Jesus, from what you want from me, I'm all in. In. So today, how much from Matthew 16? I'm going to read these words together. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So they're traveling, they're in the north region of the kingdom of Israel, where Dan, the ancestral tribe, would have lived in the Old Testament times. Jesus' followers, are, uh, his disciples are following him. He turns, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, if you've been reading in Matthew up to this point, Son of Man, what, what is that? This is a title that Jesus had been referring to himself. Well, the Son of Man says, oh, and the Son of Man which if you really knew your Bible, and some, maybe some did, maybe some didn't, it would take you back to the book of Daniel. And at the very end of Daniel, there's one like who is a son of man, who will come at the end of time, and all kingdoms and powers and authorities will be below him. He will sit on his throne and reign forever, the son of man. Jesus is walking around referring to himself, oh, he's the son of man. So imagine being a disciple. Imagine following Jesus. And he says, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? I would be like, well, Jesus, do you mean like who you are or like this weird title that you're calling yourself? Like, I, I don't know. And so they actually answer Jesus and then they say these words. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, great Old Testament prophet, or others say Jeremiah or, you know, one of the other prophets. Like, people are talking about your public ministry, Jesus. You're probably, you know, like one of the prophets. I want to pause for a moment. I want to take this question and put it in 2023 today. I want to ask you, who do people say Jesus is? Who do people say Jesus is? Not, not like you personally, like just culturally, popularly. Who do people say Jesus is? I think there's maybe many different responses in our world today. Well, I believe he's a good moral teacher that we can learn from. Uh, I think he's, uh, you know, like they use the word prophet, but I think he's a, a religious authority, maybe one among many. You know, there's lots of religions, like there's lots of ways to God. Maybe he's one. What is it that culture would say about who this Jesus is? Popular one today. He's the God who loves me no matter what. He would never turn his back on me. That's, that's who he is. Um, who do people say Jesus is? 
So they answered this way, and then Jesus asks a follow-up question, which is much more pressing. I want to look at it together. He says, then he asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say? Not not the public, not the uh, public's opinion, the thoughts, the, the words swirling about me. No, who do you say that I am? I want you to pause for a moment. If you're in a message reflection life group, there's gonna be a question this week. If you have to answer the question, it's me and you sitting in a coffee together. Oh, I'm exploring my faith in God. You know, I believe in God. And I said, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? How would you answer? And I'm pausing here. If you're making notes, like write, write it down to answer this week. Who is Jesus to you? Because how you answer this question will reveal a lot about the relationship that you do or don't have, and often it will also point you to what you need to do next to grow in your relationship with God. Who is Jesus to you? Maybe some of you would say, again, I think he's maybe a helpful moral teacher. Uh, He's the person I want my kids to believe in so that they'll grow up and live good moral lives. Well, maybe you'd say, he's the guy that my grandparents or parents believed in and gave their life to. But if I'm honest, I'm not really sure what I think about him yet. Maybe you'd say, he's the God I believe in because I believe there's a God, but I for sure don't know him personally. Who is Jesus to you? Or do you answer, man, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He's the reason that I can get out of bed every morning. I find mercy new every morning. I find a purpose for living. I find peace in him. I find a relationship with one who loves me and who is making me better, showing me all that he wants in the world. How do you answer this question? Who is Jesus to you again? It reveals a lot about your relationship with him. So Jesus asked the disciples, everyone has said, yeah, the prophets, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, somebody, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter speaks up. Simon Peter answered, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. And this is such a huge declaration. All throughout the Old Testament scriptures, there's these um, little hints or puzzles that there is one day going to come a Messiah, one who's gonna come and save us, one who's gonna come and redeem us and restore and make everything right in the world. There is a Messiah who is coming. So for Peter to say, and it's you, because there have been lots of people that, oh, is this the Messiah? Are they going to save us? They lead in a revolution or a revolt against the empire that's coming, and it, it dissipates. But no, Jesus, we believe it's you. And more than just the Messiah who's coming, you are the son of the living God. What a declaration. And Jesus affirms this. And then he says, well, now that you know this, disciples, keep this quiet for a minute, because we got more work to do here. This is an amazing declaration. Now, here's one thing I've noticed in our culture and our world today. We're a people who love great declarations. The statement that is newsworthy, it's buzzworthy, it, it starts trending, it goes on Twitter, and everyone's talking about what they said, even if they have no way to back up a promise they have made. You'll hear about it on Sports Center at night. People will talk about it over and over. As a society, we love what is new. Can you, do you believe what they said? Did you hear what so-and-so said? Even if it has no basis in truth. Since Rhonda was joking with me that, you know, resale started before I was alive, 
let me give you another one. You know, I wasn't alive for that many years in the last century, but I heard, I have it on good authority that in 1968, Richard Nixon made a promise, or it was a promise, or it was leaked, or it was opinion, did he say it, did he not? Uh, leading up to his presidential election, I have a secret plan to end the war. Oh, did you hear what he said? He has a secret plan? Oh, we love these great declarations. Or maybe for my generation, I remember LeBron James leaves Cleveland. He goes to the heat. They amass the first superstar team, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James. Oh man, they think they've got it made. Do you remember what he said? He gets to Miami, they do this unveiling, which was ridiculous, and we're gonna win championships here. Ah, everyone cheers, great declaration. Not one, not two, not three championships, not four championships, and everyone's like, whoa, yeah, they're cheering. I'm like, you can't back that up. You can't do it. And of course, they, they didn't. Or you take any politician standing in front of a very large crowd and we begin to make great declarations. Man, if you elect me, everything will be free, everyone gets a new car, taxes will go down, and somehow the Cubs and the Sox will both win the World Series this year. Vote for me. I just became mayor, I think that just happened. Great declarations. But you know what this has done to us as a society in a very helpful way? It makes us realize talk is cheap, actions prove character. You can say whatever you wanna say, but do you have the character, do you have the actions to back it up? When Peter makes this great declaration, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, he actually has the life to back it up. As a follower of Jesus, he knew Jesus. He left his profession. He left his work behind him. In some senses, his wife was at home. He's out here with his brother following Jesus, trying to learn more about who he is. He's seen the miracles. He's seen what he can do. But it's not just something that he would say, I believe God is real. No, he's, I know him. I've seen him. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. His life backed up his talk. I guess I'd say it this way. If I go home today, I tell my wife, hey, I'll take out the trash, and I don't take out the trash, then my wife has to decide, am I a liar? Am I forgetful? Or did I have good intentions, but just somehow could not carry them through? We often say, I love God. I believe in God, declaration. But do our actions follow through with our declaration? then we have to decide if they don't. Am I a liar? Am I forgetful? Do I have good intentions? I just can't follow through on them? Meanwhile, the world watches. Oh, so you say you're a Christian, declaration. But if there's no actions there, they'd say there's nothing special about Christianity. Or you're a Christian and that's what it looks like to be a Christian? No thanks. But what if we lived an all-in kind of life? When we say, I believe in Jesus, then we begin to practice the things that Jesus said. We lay down our lives for others just as Jesus has done for us. We selflessly serve, we go out of our way to take care of others. We work for justice and mercy and compassion. We take care of other people, widows and orphans and others in the church. What if we begin to back it up? Then, when the world looks at us, they will say, oh, you're a Christian and that's what it means to be a Christian? Or even if they would say, you know, I believe God is real, but I don't know, how, I mean, but your life, the way that you're living, the way that you have a peace that no circumstance can rock you, the way that you still have joy somehow when the boss yells at you, 
you're different. And I don't even know what makes you different, but I want that. That's what it looks like when we live all in and the world can watch us. It gives them the witness of who Jesus is. What if we live all in? And here's what I love. Here's what I love about Peter. He, Peter is an all-in kind of guy. There's a reason I'm talking about Peter on the first week of a series called All In. Because here's what I know. If I say I want you to live in the all-in Christian life, not holding anything back, Jesus, I'm all yours, I want to follow you, no matter the cost. For some of us, for some reason, we get a picture of perfection in our mind. So to live all in means that I must be perfect, to never mess up, to always do the right thing, the loving thing, and, and never mess up or yell at my spouse or yell at my kids. Like, that's what it means, right? Here's why I love Peter. Peter is a man who's all in, who messes up all the time. And yet he's still a great follower of Jesus. I mean, even this conversation, I believe you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yes. And Peter's like, can you imagine if you're Peter? Like, that's right. Yeah, I got it. I said that. And then Jesus starts to say, hey, now listen, I need you to keep that quiet. We still got some work to do. Actually, we're going to go to Jerusalem next. And when we get there, the religious leaders are not going to like what I have to say. Actually, I'm going to be handed over to those leaders. They may beat me. In fact, I'm going to die. They will kill me. And Peter's like, wait, 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 wait. You're the Messiah, which in our mindset means you're going to lead a military revolution. We're going to overthrow Rome. You're the son of the living God. I've seen you do miracles. You have power? What do you mean you're going to go to Jerusalem and die? No, Jesus, you're not going to do that. Great declaration. You're telling Jesus what to do. That's not going to happen to you. And then you hear Jesus' words. You remember what he says to him? Get behind me, Satan. Oh, strong. And I think, that, I think this is worth mentioning. Because when I grew up, I used to think, was Jesus calling Peter Satan? Are you kidding me? Get behind me, Satan. But then I realized, where's this found? It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 16. You go back to Matthew, same chapter, same context, same themes. Go back to Matthew 4. When Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, and Satan tempts him three different times, and he responds with, it is written in God's word. One of the temptations was, if you would just bow to me and worship me, then I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Scholars and people smarter than me have said, the temptation for Jesus in this was to take the easy way out. Oh, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross and die. You don't have to shed your blood. You don't have to go through the suffering. You can just have all of that now. That was the temptation. So when Peter is saying, Jesus, you don't have to die, I don't think Jesus is calling Peter Satan. I think he's recognizing the same voice of temptation. Oh, you don't have to die? There's another way to do this? Like, you could sit on a throne and re lead a revolution and everyone will come around you and love you and praise you and serve you. He recognizes the temptation that is contrary to the will of God for his life of what he is supposed to do for humanity and that's what causes him to utter, get behind me, Satan. He's not calling Peter Satan. He's recognizing the temptation. But Peter's radical. No, Jesus, that's not gonna happen. And I love it again later. He's all in, but he messes up. He's off on the road of what Jesus would want for him. Jesus gets arrested. He's about to be handed over. And Peter's like, this is it. We can't, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. I'm all in. I want to live for Jesus. I'll lay down my life if I have to. So what's he do? Pulls out the sword. We're going to fight tonight. Boom. Cuts a guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, Peter, 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 Stop. This is not the way. Do you remember the whole turn the other cheek thing? Put your sword away. Stop it. Takes the ear, puts it back on, heals the man. Peter, I love your enthusiasm. You're all in. 
it's not the right way to do it. It's okay. Maybe one last example. Disciples are in a boat. It's rocking. They think they're going to die. They see what looks like maybe a ghost coming to them on the water. Is that a ghost? Is, wait, is that, is that Jesus? Like, is that Jesus? Jesus, if that's you, come save us. And Peter says this. I love this scene. Lord, if it's really you, come to me, to, come tell me to walk to you on the water. Which if I'm like John or somebody else, I'm like, Peter, why would you say that? Like, you don't have to walk on the water. He could just come get in the boat and like, we'd be fine. Like, where's this coming from? A statement of great faith. I believe I could walk on water if you said it. Jesus, come and tell me. I think it's also telling his Christians, watch this. When you remember that story, do you remember the Peter who walked on water? Or do you remember the Peter who lost sight and began to sink? Sometimes, well, yeah, Peter tried to walk on the water, but pff, he just lost faith. He noticed the storm around him and he began to sink. It reveals a cynicism about us. Instead to see Peter as the one with great faith, the only disciple who walked on water. Ultimately for me, it reveals this. In my Christian life, if I want to be all in for Jesus, it doesn't mean being perfect, I may fail. But I would rather have a faith that is so bold that I would fail valiantly versus never getting out of the boat. Jesus, help me to have this faith where all in, I believe anything is possible. I want to follow you and I want to see you do amazing things. Not perfection, you will mess up, but you keep that relationship with Jesus. When you mess up, you confess, forgive you of your sins and you get right back into relationship following him in all in kind of life. This is what it looks like. And this is what I want to share with you today. This all in lifestyle, oftentimes we attribute to Peter and the saints and everybody else, but this all in lifestyle isn't for the special disciples, the pastors, the preachers. It's the requirement for every disciple. Jesus says, before you follow me, I want you to count the cost. Before you build a house, you're gonna figure out how much money and do we have enough in the bank, can, can we do that? Before you begin, you count the cost. I want you to know if you wanna live this life with me, I want you to know just exactly what it means and how much it costs. So he says this, Jesus said to the disciples, if any of you, not the special ones, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Well, I wanna like live life the way I wanna live it. I wanna have my own thoughts and ideologies and what I believe about the world and I wanna like have everything that's mine and then just add a little bit of Jesus in it. Jesus says, no, if to follow me means to take your way, put it over here, and to begin to take my way and that becomes your life. Give up your own way, follow me, and then he says, take up your cross. I think in this moment, Jesus knew where his road was heading. He knew this is the way of my life. I'm self-sacrificing out of love for the good of the world. And if you follow me, you will be doing the same thing. Take up your cross, give up your life for others, and then follow me. He adds, if you try to hang on to your life, but I want this and I want this, and Jesus, I don't really want you to have this area of my life. I want to hang on to it. You do that, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. He goes on, next one. He says, and what benefit will you gain if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Scholars believe Jesus may have been quoting Psalm 49 here. 
It says, for they can't redeem themselves from death. You cannot pay a ransom to God. Redemption does not come so easily. No one can pay to live forever and not see the grave. See, what if you, here's the lie of our culture. You would be happy if you just had that, whatever that is for you. And it changes, the second you grab it, it changes to something else. Jesus is saying, whatever it was you're striving for, longing for, even if you got it, let's say you're rich, you have everything you ever want, you can be wealthy and have massed, accumulated in abundance on the exterior, but even then, internally, your soul will be bankrupt. Is it worth it to get everything and lose your soul? No, turn to Jesus instead. The simplest way I know how to say this, when I go visit people in the hospital, and they know it's come down to the end. Never a single time has someone told me about how much stuff they have, not once. And if they did, honestly, it would be fairly sad. Never once. Nearly every time, they will ask me a question that deals with eternity. Because in the end, everything becomes crystallized and our priorities fall into alignment. What's most important begins to reveal itself but what if we could live with that kind of clarity, not just at the end, but in all of life? I I love what Paul has to say, this is Galatians 2.20, it's his mindset of following Jesus, and it's for every one of us. Paul writes, "I, I have been crucified with Christ. I have died with Jesus on the cross, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave up his life for me. To be a Christian, and this is why when you make a decision to accept Jesus and you begin to live for him, you know what the first place we point you to is baptism. Because when you have made a decision for Jesus, it is the very symbol of Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the grave. You have died to yourself. The old sinful self has been crucified, dead, and put in the ground. And now the life you now live, Jesus has made you new. Jesus has made you alive. You are washed, you are made clean. You come out of the waters of baptism, now living a new life. You say, well, how much, what's the cost of following Jesus? You've already given him your life. How much more is there? So our mindset then is, I have already died. My old life, my my way, what I want, it's already gone. Now, this, now the life I live, I'm living by faith in this body, in the Son of God, who has loved me and given himself for me. I now live for Jesus. This is why, especially at this time of year, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, I would encourage you to take that next step. On Easter Sunday, maybe this year on Easter would be a, the symbol of your own spiritual birthday. Jesus has made me alive, I'm now living a new life. And you could celebrate so that you would always remember that Easter 23 was your baptism and the sign and the public declaration to the world, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm honestly already having a baptism meeting tomorrow at four o'clock, so if you wanna join, let me know. And if you can't make tomorrow at four, I'd say this, on your app or on the QR code, let us know you're interested in baptism and one of our pastors will meet with you about this huge next step in your own journey. So today, and this is why I entitled the message, How Much? I'm gonna ask you a series of how much questions. And the first one would be this. How much does God care for you? How much does God love you? Sometimes we can believe the lie like, well, I, I've messed up, I've done things like, could God really love me? If you're struggling with that question today, 
I want to remind you that Jesus has already given everything for you. Maybe this is a silly example, but it's the easiest way because God brought it to mind for me. Got my little, um, almost three-year-old Shiloh. Every night I say, I love you. She goes, I love you. I say, how much does daddy love you? And I go, this much? She goes, no. And I go, this much? No. This much? No. And I go, this much? And she goes, yeah. I go, how much do you love daddy? She puts both arms out. I love it. It's like she's this tall, as far as she can stretch. Ah, this much. One night, whew, I felt like God said to me, as my daughter, this much. I would give up my life for you, everything, and the sign of the cross, this much. Here's another way to think about it. Parents, you've got kids. If you had young kids, you remember, I ask you this question, how much, let's think financially, would you spend to invest for the betterment of your kids' future? How much? Well, I, you know, I put them in this program. It's for their future, I think it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna, how much? A Washington Post would say the average, average person, average parents will spend $310,000 from zero to 18 per child. I'm three kids in at this point. I read that stat and I'm like, <laughs> it's like we've signed, my wife and I have some, signed some invisible agreement with these children that some, for some reason, we will work for them and pay them and provide everything that they need. We'll physically carry them around. We do everything for them. Oh, man, how much would you do? But as parents, you know this. There's about, there's about nothing that you wouldn't give for your child. Now just take away, for their future, what about for their safety? How much would you give that your kids could be safe and thrive and grow if it all came down to it? I think you would say as a parent, you would give up your very life for your child. If it really came down to it, if it's mine or yours, you would give up your life because you love your kids. Jesus, when talking to parents, he says, so you parents who love your kids so much, now I want you to think as God as father. So there is a God in heaven that feels more in love with you than even you do with your kids, who would say not only for your future, but for your safety, for your salvation, I would give up my life for you. I'll go to the cross, I would take on your sin, your guilt, and your shame, that I could wipe away your past and make you new, redeem you, renew you into who I've created you to be, forgive you and give you new life, give you an abundant life now and an eternity forever. I've done it for you. So if the question is, how much does God love me? It's already been proven. Don't question it. Second, I would ask the question, this is what I hear most often, from us as disciples, how much of Jesus do I want? How much of Jesus do I really follow him? I mean, like, can I live my own life in just a little bit of Jesus? How much? I think of my wife. If I go home and my wife, and this is true, selflessly loves and serves me. She like takes care of our home, she supports me, she's incredible, she's a partner uh, as a parent with me. Um, she like, to the point where it comes down to dinner, she makes a meal for the kids, a meal for herself, and then even a meal for me, it's like a gluten-free penny pasta with some like lightly uh, peppered kielbasa with a little um, uh, mozzarella sprinkled on top with some creamy Alfredo. That is what real love looks like, my friends. So good. She does all this and serves me and loves me. What if I said to her, I love that you do all this for me, 
I'll talk to you when I need you. I'll come find you. Wow, Galen, you're a terrible husband. How much more in our relationship with God when he says, I have given everything for you. I forgive you. I want, I want what's best for you. How do you not see that? I want to give you life. I want to give you freedom. How much does it grieve the heart of God when we respond with, well, thank you, and I'll come find you when I need you. The only proper response is to give our whole life for him. How much? I'd say this. Here's the last how much question. How much do you want peace? How much do you want joy? How much do you want love? Everything in God's kingdom comes in the opposite ways that we receive it in the world does. Okay, I want to just briefly go through this. How much? Go ahead and go to the next one, Alan. How much? In the kingdom of God, most everything is received by doing the opposite of what the world does. If the world says, if you want to be accepted and known, you need to work harder, do more, try more. And the kingdom of God says, God says, I love you just as you are. Your salvation is not based on how hard you work and your striving and what you can do. It is a free gift given to you by grace through faith in Jesus. You are already accepted and loved. The world says if you can get the new, the shiny, the fashionable, then you'll be happy. In the kingdom of God, in Philippians 4, you can be content whether you are rich or poor because it's not about what you have. It is about who you know. The world says if you, and this is the big lie today, if you could simply make all the decisions that you want to make, if you could just, everybody around you let you do what you want and believe what you want, well, then you would be happy. And the reason you're not happy is because those around you are limiting that you can't do what you want or they're not validating your thoughts and opinions that you're now calling your truth. And if they would just, and, and that's why you're not happy. But instead, the Christian life, opposite way, it's not about getting what you want. It's about taking your opinions and putting them on the table and say, God, I believe in your word, which is the truth, and I'll live according to that even if I don't understand it. And if I live in this way, then you find abundant true life, happiness, contentment. The best way I can sum up this concept, if you want peace, stop, stop trying to control everything. Trust, surrender. If you want to be rich, stop calculating and measuring and putting it away freely give, and then you'll find an abundance of richness in your soul. If you want love, give it away. Selflessly show up and serve others. If you want to live, choose to die. God, not my way, but yours. And then you'll find real life and so much more. How much do you want? The amount that you give your life away is the amount you give it back, or the amount that you will receive it in turn. How much you're willing to give to Jesus is how much you will get back. If you're holding on to an area of your life, you can't receive what God has for you. Well, Jesus, don't touch this. This is mine. I'm going to hold out on you. If you're with a clenched fist, you cannot receive what God has for you. So it comes by surrender. Final thing I'll tell you today. I want you to say, how much do I follow Jesus? I'm all in. There's an unwritten rule that we all have and here's the rule. At our house, certain people are allowed in certain places. If you come over to my house, I, and I know you're coming, my wife and I will probably clean up our house a little bit. So you'll walk in and you'll see our entryway table and you're like, oh, it's like clean and tidy, like you guys cleaned up for us. You'll walk into our kitchen, we could have a little tea party or espresso if you want to, and the kitchen's all clean and nice. 
You could walk into the living room and we could sit on the couch and have some fun. Oh, there's another kid. There goes another quarter million right there. <laughs> if you come in, I have cleaned my house to what, so, so it is what I want you to see. And you know it's not always this clean. I have three kids. Now, upstairs in my kids' rooms, not very many people go up there like, unless they have kids, nobody needs to be up there. Um, here's, a, here's, a, here's what it looks like. No, I'm not gonna show you what it looks like. It's messy. It's functionally messy. We still play, we have fun, but it needs to be addressed at some point. Now, there's another door in my house. You know what's behind this door? No, and you never will. This door leads to our basement that when we moved in, I just kind of like threw all of our stuff in there. Like our basement's fine, but it is a mess. In that basement, I have 10 years of marriage and three children's worth of baggage and stuff that on most weekends, if I have free time, I would rather not address. Here's the picture I want for you today. If Jesus were to knock on the door of your life, you open it. Most of the time when we receive him, we receive him into an area and a space that we want him to see. Jesus, I'm a good person. I do good things. Come and see. Yes, I see that. It's great. It's wonderful. In fact, Jesus could be like, can we go upstairs? No, I'd rather not. But if I follow you, okay. Oh, here's this area of your life that's functionally messy. Like you live in it, but man, the way you talk to your coworkers, the way you talk to your kids, the, can, can we address that? Oh, okay, Jesus, I've always known we need to. It's time to work on it. Jesus walks and he knocks on that last door. Hey, can we go down there? Actually, Jesus, whew, haven't been down there in a while. I don't want to pull up what's been down there from the baggage in my past. Yes, but if I'm going to sanctify you and make you holy and completely make you into who God wants you to be, then we're going to address it. Is it time? Can we go down there? Okay, Jesus. I'm embarrassed. That's fine. God already knows who you are. He already knows everything you've ever done. Could you bring it to him and say, it's time, Jesus. Today, I call this your all-in check-in. It's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus. There's your declaration. What's your action? If Jesus is speaking to you about something specific today, the area of your life that you've known you need to address, but you haven't, it's probably the one area that Jesus hasn't moved on for. It keeps coming up in your mind. I know I need to do this. I know I need to ask for forgiveness. I know I need to make it right. I know I need to pay them back. I know I need to, whatever it is. Could you address that with Jesus? Here's what I want you to do. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's pray. God, in this moment, we come to you as a people longing to be all in. We're people that doesn't, don't just want to choose to add you to our life. God, help us to take our life and remove it and to live your life, to live out your plans and designs and purposes because we know that's what's best for us anyway. God, help us to live in this way. God, I believe that you are speaking to every one of us through your spirit for each one of us even now. Maybe you're bringing up an area of our life that we know we need to address. Maybe we have even tried to address it in the past. Because God, we know if we want to live all in for you, everything is on the table. Now God, we invite you into that space. Not that we by ourselves can make it any better. Not that we ourselves can try to address this mess. But God, that through the power of your spirit, you would begin to change us from the inside out. That you could take it, that you could clean it, 
in partnership with us, God, that you could change and transform us into who you want us to be. Friend, today, Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? And will you follow me? And to follow me is to be all in. How you respond in declaration, Jesus, I'm all in. But then in actions this week, will you do what God is calling you to do? Jesus, as we prepare to leave this place in a few moments, help us to live out this all-in lifestyle. Not that we're going to be perfect, but they will follow you with a boldness, a courageousness that whatever you bring up in our life, we say, yes, that too, because I want to become more and more like you. Jesus, would your spirit come and live in us, change us and transform us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.